0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the 44th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlo. Today we've got Sam Reich, head of video from College Humor. He basically helped put College Humor's
1: videos on the map. Which I think of College Humor as like a, a video, video site. Yeah. yeah. So he's also the head of Big Breakfast, their production shingle, and also is the EP on their television programs like Middle of the Night Show and Adam Ruins Everything, which is in its second season
0: as we speak. Yeah, and he's got a really interesting story as to how he got there And also he talks to us a lot about what he looks for in a director. In my mind, I would think a lot of our listeners either have directed at College Humor or would love to direct for College Humor. So I think there's some really interesting insights and anecdotes about what the head of College Humor video looks for in a director. So listen up. Yeah, it's such a
1: jam-packed episode. We decided to forego our catch-up this week. So we'll find out what Oren's been working on next episode. Oh, it is really fascinating. Let's jump right into it. Sam Reich, how you doing buddy? Hello. We were saying uh before we started rolling that this kind of it nearly completes the college humor family tree. Like <laughs> we've got like Josh and Vince have to like fly in or something but yeah. like Yeah. most people who have directed well there's still there's still a handful for so sure. So you guys have
2: like, had Paul yeah, and Matt Pollock yep. and Tim Wilkerson. Yep. and Luke Kelly Klein. Luke Kelly Klein.
1: So
0: there's still plenty of and people. And Matt and me. Yeah. That's true. I almost directed something. Did you? Yeah. The Ruffles with Martin Short. Martin Long. You, you just
2: send me a note, man. I know <laughs> with, people there. No, I no. no with in. Martin
0: Starr. Oh, Mar- <laughs> <sorry. laughs> Martin Short. I was like, the name Dude, is, that sounds wrong. Like a, it's a huge opportunity. Um, <laughs> I think
2: Josh and Vince are conspicuously absent from that yeah. list. I think Sammy Cohen is absent yeah. from that
1: list. Ryan,
0: Ryan as well. Well, yeah. And, and, Shabak. and Mike yeah. Shabak. Yeah. yeah. And Ryan Martin. And Sammy yeah. is a woman. Yes, is she the um, only female director you guys have?
2: Well, at any moment, there's actually very few people in rotation because Paul doesn't really direct shorts anymore. Tim doesn't direct shorts anymore. Matt, for the most part, doesn't direct shorts anymore. Actually, now that Matt has gone union, it's going to be difficult for him to come back oh, to yeah. do shorts for the website.
0: So, I, you so sure that that DGA, was the beginning.
2: Right? That was the beginning of an excuse.
0: But I, I like. Talking about the female, the, the whole diversity thing in directing—it's kind of like the biggest thing. It's a huge going issue. on in Hollywood. Well, this, and I think it,
2: it's probably such a huge issue because even if there's a diversity problem in casting, there are just enough parts to cast that there will still be women and minorities in your project. But directing is so singular mm-hmm. that the sort of Whatever you call the, this negative trend in our industry has like really reared its head, right? Because right? you're pointing to single people saying you're going to be in charge of this operation. Unfortunately, like I think that there are so far fewer women who have gotten those opportunities.
0: I like. I'm just trying to figure out how you solve it because I, I think so, both Matt and I have been in situations where they're like, you know, we really wanted a female director for this yeah. project and. So, you find one,
2: so we recognized that this was, was a problem. I went out and I solicited between thirty and fifty female director recommendations. It's the department in which I'm pickiest because it's my background. And I you know, I knew I was just going to have a hard time finding someone that I was really excited about. That's true in general. That has nothing to do with the person's gender. And through that initiative, we found Leanne Bowen and Sammy
0: Cohen. And Carly Oosten. Cool. And they've all gone on to direct more things. Sammy's still directing at College Humor, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, she is. Yeah. I mean, I think there's this big, I mean, it's obvious, right? This kind of like echo chamber problem where the people hiring these directors tend to be a lot of times white males or white females that have kind of been indoctrinated into this white male like sensibility. Yeah, and so, or, or, or even sort
1: of—that's the right way to say it. you Just indoctrinated into thinking like what a director is supposed to be, or just building your uh, network, right? And like when it's most. Yeah, do,
2: it's, I mean, I think that like fundamentally, there are far more white men out there directing. There are, because it's a white male-dominated industry, there's far more white men giving opportunities to other white men, which means when it comes to someone like me, who's probably just a lazy and unresourceful, the work out there that I see that impresses me is from white men. So if I right. want I, I, anyone I, else to do it, I have to be proactive about mm-hmm. se- seeking that person out. Like I have to stop being lazy about right. it. Right,
0: but I'm, I think the reason it impresses you is because you get it. They're saying, you know, they're making the sketch about the guy that like dropped his phone in the toilet or whatever and you get it because you have that same iPhone and you've done that same thing and if they make the sketch about the guy that's like waiting in line for 40 hours to buy sneakers or whatever, you don't get it. You know, it's not something you done. Like, is there something I think there's something there where everyone that's hiring the directors, not just the directors themselves, is white and male I, and they like stuff that, the stuff that cracks them up or that they they love is stuff that they feel is personal to them. You know that
2: could be true. It could also be true with like systematic problems that extend like way down deeper into the very beginnings of people's sure. careers, where like women are less likely to sign up for directing class
1: because they'll be the only girl in right. class, Or, or right. even photography class. Yeah, sure. You know, like it
0: goes, it goes pretty. So that's far back it's for so sure. hard to overcome. I have a, yeah. f- a director friend that's a woman, and she's always complaining about this, and I'm like, well. Like, people ask me to recommend directors all the time. Like, send me some directors that I can recommend. And she sent me some people, and I looked at their work, and I was like, it's cool. It's, like, kind of indie, alternative, cool lifestyle. It's beautiful. But I don't think, like, you know, uh, Funny or Die is going to hire you to do, like, a Miller, you know, branded spot because the sensibility isn't there. Or they don't have the real... Yeah, to and build. it's like yeah. it's like I as, mean, as, yeah, as, the farther you try to fix the problem, the more you realize it goes. back It goes, goes back, right? It's roots are very, very deep. But I things mean, like if, your initiative if, are if, awesome.
2: If anybody were to send me three director links from like people who they thought were pretty good, I wouldn't like them. I'm way way too picky, which is again why you just I think have to challenge yourself to find the people that you're excited about, which is such a like challenging yourself to find the things that you're excited about is like well the you know people who inspire me or things that are inspire me should just arrive on my doorstep i think that's the very entitled attitude with which i approach actually a whole lot of my work
0: right like and it's exci- coming through like, your network of
2: i am king on my throne excite me dance for me ooh i like this internet video that popped up out of nowhere or i like this script that was submitted to me out of nowhere i choose you right like you have to be so much more proactive than that if you're going to break this vicious cycle
0: yeah and I think it's like I don't know for me if I'm like trying to find creative people like I I think something I'm trying to do more is like try to hire the people that I don't really understand (laughs) more than the people that did it exactly the way I would do it you know yeah does that make sense yeah Michael Spellman who's a one of the writers on Empire talked about Ryan Coogler and how no white director basically A writer director is going to come up with a story for Creed. No one, no one's watching Rocky and wondering like, "Oh, I wonder what what happened to Apollo Creed's son." (laughs) You know, unless you're black. You know, and so I think he talked about how these, like, once those kind of floodgates open of like trying to talk to people that you don't normally talk to, that's when like really amazing stuff happens. Yeah, I know. Absolutely, I think it's like really interesting, and I, I hope my dream is to be like a part of the. Solution, you know, help diversify. I don't know. I don't know how to do it though. But if you're a female director and you're listening to this, send me your email because I'll show it to people.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you, uh, like, I could certainly be doing more. I could always be doing more to be a part of the solution to these, you know, diversity-related issues in general. It's definitely something that I've become a lot more aware of in the like second half of my career. You know, I think once you're at anything close to a position of power, it's just your. Responsibility to start thinking about that kind of thing. If you're doling out opportunity to people. Well I,
1: you know. On that note, let's actually rewind a little bit, right? Because <laughs> there we go. Cause Sam, I think you've got a really interesting story about how you came to be Mr. College Humor. Right? Which is I, think, I feel
2: like yeah, now I should be yeah. unbuttoning my shirt in sure, sure. a low voice should be going
1: yeah. Mr. College Humor. Oh yeah. I need to hear some ice cubes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should mention, Sam's wearing like a silk neckerchief. Mm. It's very fetching. It's very comfortable. Yeah, Ooh. And a robe. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sam, you are... What, I don't even know what your official title is mm. at College Humor. Head I've, of
2: video. I don't think this is my official title, but I refer to myself as head of video. Head of video, For College yeah. Humor, and then president of Big Breakfast, which is College Humor's
1: offshoot production company. And how did, how did you become the president of... Take breakfast. <laughs> College humor How are you I was oh, the yeah. vice
2: president and the president was assassinated. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was sort of my pitch to IAC, which is the parent company. To move the video department out from New York to LA to get more seriously into TV, mm-hmm. but before that,
1: right? Let's let's oh, let's, let's go further. Back, I'm right? sorry, you you invented internet video. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I, I am E <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Exactly, yeah, we, we just oh, live I'm in your world. world yeah. <laughs> so, so begging up a little bit because really, I think that it's it, it is fascinating. We're kind of the generation where you grow up with web video, right? Like you mm-hmm. were kind of entering the workforce as a person who wanted to make comedy, right? And you said, "Hey, like I think videos work on the internet." The internet was like, "People, dial-up wasn't ubiquitous yet, yeah. or, or High-speed, I mean, wasn't. Ubiquitous I mean, ubiquitous to be yet?
2: to be honest, I think when we started to do it, and I started to do it with my comedy group Dutch West back in two thousand three. Internet videos weren't really working right. yet. And it was sort of this idea that the internet can be used as a self-publishing mechanism. And so if we're gonna build careers for ourselves, let's broadcast ourselves as widely as possible and sort of take advantage of this. I, I mean, at the time, me and this group of people, which, you know, consisted of it was me, Josh Rubin, Vinny Payone, Josh Minzer, the directing duo we were referring to earlier. My wife, Elaine Carroll, and uh, another very funny guy named Matt Moore, we uh, were just actors and writers and not very good directors Mm -hmm. who wanted attention. And And you were in uh, New York?
0: Yeah. Did you guys go to NYU or anything like that?
2: No, no, no. Uh, uh, So Josh went to the New Actors Workshop, and Vince was a cinematography major at SVA, and Elaine was an acting major at Marymount Manhattan. And I dropped out of high school when I was 16, so three years before Dutch West.
0: And then Matt, oh, Matt went to New Actors as well. So right. I was the uneducated one. So was your father a successful economist when you dropped out of high school? <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: my father and mother were professors when I dropped
0: out of high school. Like You were trying to offset that. Pure academics. Like, well, not yeah. pure, but like eggheads.
2: Proper. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah father was a professor mother was a professor
0: and at like in Massachusetts schools i'm assuming Massachusetts, like yeah harvard's harvard.
1: yeah they were both at yeah. harvard so let's talk about this a little bit i don't think we've ever talked about so you you decided you were i'm 16 dropping out of high school i want to do comedy
2: well clinical depression had a role in this okay uh, all right i was i was pretty messed up as a, as a 15 16 year old so they sent me off to England. Um, they enrolled me in this like program for troubled teenagers. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, I actually don't think it was for troubled teenagers. I think in my case it was for troubled teenagers. Um, for the most part, it was for British teenagers. And then they would take the occasional American misfit.
1: And you weren't just like, hey, this is not theater camp. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I, it Blimey. was it, it worked for me like getting me out of cambridge
2: massachusetts yeah, and yeah. into a very different environment seeing how big the world really is uh, you know i did a whole bunch of theater when i was there i took courses in things that really interested in me but i also wasn't overloaded by school or with home i took mm-hmm. i had i think something like only 15 hours of class a week mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. so much less
0: yeah just yeah just less than we had in prep school such a new england thing to like, send your kids to school, right? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, all these yeah. people I know that grew up that, you know, went to Exeter and all these, like, weird, like, sleepaway schools, yeah. which yeah. is what I would call them. My parents, like, could barely even send me to, like, a weekend camp, let alone, like, yeah. away from the school year. Yeah. It's crazy. It's
2: totally, it's the education capital of the United States, I think. Right. Um, you know, and that's that's really the beating pulse of Harvard, but I mm-hmm. think it has this kind of... uh tentacle effect to like the high schools in the area and it's funny i i really think that we were educated to the point of abuse in that school Mm -hmm. like it was it's like some dead poet society shit i mean there was someone in the grade below me who committed suicide so yeah so
0: yeah yeah uh i always used to think like china or japan or there's some asian country where like they make their kids go to school for like 80 hours a week (laughs) but i guess that was massachusetts
2: but of course the that kind of irony, I actually don't know if this is the proper use of irony because I dropped out of high school, but it is that like ever since being in my adult life, I value that education tremendously. I had two years of high school education. And yeah.
0: like,
2: I think actually- that was enough to
1: last. Then you the finished high school life. in two
0: years. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's one way to put it, right? right. So, yeah. so
1: then, but so that, this is fascinating, though. So you move because we always talk about like, oh, is film school important, or like, is right. getting a broader education? Like, sure. wh- how does it work?
2: Right? I read that like ninety
1: percent of directors have gone to film school or some 90? crazy. Oh, statistic that can't be true. Like I don't think that's true. You don't think that's true? And certainly, I don't think it's important. What I do think is important, and we talk about it all the time, is just finding your tribe. Right, uh-huh. like like finding that sure. that band yeah. of people, other Jewish people, other other Jewish people, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the tribe. Uh, no, uh, but finding like minded individuals, right? So and it, yeah, so well, I, you I, literally had a name for that group, right? Sure, and, and it was called Dutch West. It was your yeah. comedy troupe. But so so you come back from England, right?
2: Yeah, I come back from England. Uh, I go to a performing arts summer camp. Where I meet uh, Elaine at the age of sixteen, who would one day become my comedy group co-conspirator and then my wife, the mother of your dog, the (laughs) mother, yeah, exactly. And Josh Reuben, we all the three of us met when we were sixteen to eighteen, and we, you know, we sang and we acted and we did. physical motion exercises made out yeah. with each other made out with each other yeah
1: like any good arts camp <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. like flutes
2: where they shouldn't be stuck had pretentious uh conversations about uh, the yeah. making
0: meaning of life hey, the man. making of the universe somehow you got to new york right or is all uh, yeah
2: so my parents tried to enroll me in my junior year of high school and i completely uh flipped out and so they said, okay, let's give this whole you out of school thing a try. And if it really goes wrong, maybe we can get you in a bad college somewhere. So they put me in this, I mean, I, I almost say this as if it's ungenerous. I think they were hugely generous and liberal sure, and yeah. sort of experimental by doing this. They put me in like a 300 square foot box of an apartment in Boston and said, Wh- whatever you want to do for like a year and a half or two. Two years, The so, time that you would be in high school. Yeah. Go for it. See what happens. And this is, I... This
1: is your almost famous, is what you're telling me. <laughs> basically.
2: Right? This is my um, Igby Goes Down. Okay, all right. <laughs> and so I started doing a little bit of theater in Boston, and then I ended up following Elaine, who had gotten into college at Marymount Manhattan in New York, to New York. And I wasn't doing... Prior to Dutch West, I, I wasn't doing anything all that interesting. I mean, I was... I wanted to act, so I was uh, did a month's worth of background work on Third Watch, The Worst Law and Order. (laughs) I was the village idiot at a New York Renaissance Fair, which actually, I mean, er, everyone at that Renaissance Fair impressed the shit out of me. They're some of the best performers I've ever worked with. I was the weak link. (laughs) And then I started, oh, there was this key moment, this is a good anecdote for this podcast, where I was auditioning for the Theater Studio Inc., which is one of these many sort of no- Name Black Box Theaters New York. And I came out of that audition and there was some sort of assistant there going through headshots. And I was like, How many people do you think audition for you guys per year? And she's like, We see about uh, between 10 and 25,000 people per year. Wow. And I said, How many director resumes do you get per year? And she was like, Probably 200. And I was yeah. like, I don't like those odds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so I directed some of my first theater at the theater studio
0: and then wow the first it's easy to get a directing job story we've heard
2: i mean i think theater is such a like it is it's as in demand as any we're lucky to do any of this stuff sure but in that very few people see it and in that it pays next to nothing i think it's a great way to start directing Mm -hmm. you know and learning to work with actors and learning to block yeah you know, in a way, better to learn that before you complicate things with a camera.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I, I think, you know, you, I always joke about, like, doing New York when you're young, right? Yeah. Like Like, I think there are the opportunities of being, like, okay with not making a ton of money. Yeah. And taking advantage of those opportunities of just directing every night in a small black box theater in Brooklyn and not worrying about, like, how many people see it. Because, like... Yeah. 10 people coming to a show a night is incredible, right? Like that's double digits right there, you know? Um, Not that, I don't know what size theater you were directing in, but. Yeah, thousands. Thousands, yeah, yeah. sure, sure.
2: No, I I think that's really true. And I think, you know, the way in which I was really lucky is that I was doing this and I was having these sort of like gritty experiences where, you know, it hopefully didn't matter that I wasn't making very much money and it didn't matter that how many people were seeing it when I was like 19 and 20 and 21. Whereas if I had gone to college, I'd be having those experiences where I also really
1: needed to worry about being an adult. Or, or were like in student debt. You yeah, know,
0: like, absolutely. And yeah. four years older, not to mention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. I
2: mean, if I haven't said so explicitly, like for certain things that you want to do in your life, I think you need to go to college because you need to get that degree. And otherwise, I think... College might just be a gigantic scam.
1: Yeah, I, I think certainly it can be. Yeah, I, I mean, I will be 55 when I'm done paying off my loans. Mm. That's not a joke at all. Yeah. 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 Wasn't, that
2: wasn't quite a laugh.
1: I gave you more of a shot.
2: It was you're a. you doing
1: the math of like, oh no, that's a car payment for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. no. And, and you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that I. I I think for me, I, I really admire that you had the wisdom to see that or to like to trust your gut and to like not.
2: I mean, I didn't, I was so sort of mixed up in anti authority that I'm not sure I had a choice about it, but sure. I at least recognized that I had to supplement this education right. by doing something and right. learning by doing. And it's sort of like you, you began to say before if you are doing a lot, that's really what school is for. Absolutely. Is doing a lot and, finding a group of people to do it with.
1: Yeah, I feel like, I think maybe film school is for people who know that they want to take that crazy leap into entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's so it's so far beyond what our parents are used to doing, what most people do. The lifestyle is very, very different. Stability is, is um, pretty elusive for a lot of us. And so film school is like a little half step of like saying, okay, well, I'm still going to go to college, which is the thing that we all think we're supposed to do. To go do this crazy thing but it's gonna make my parents feel a little bit better mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and sometimes i like i certainly bought into that like yeah. it wasn't just for my parents it was like oh well this is what steven spielberg did which is not true actually okay. spielberg went to long beach but he ah. always wears a usc hat so as a kid i thought that he went to usc
2: <laughs> is that why yeah, is that why dude. you apply?
1: well that's spielberg and zemeckis and like yeah. Lucas but like you know sure. those dudes are all wearing USC hats and so you're That's like well funny. what's the school that you go to
2: yeah i mean i my impression and i'm saying this as a complete outsider because i never went to college is that there might be a little bit too much focus on the craft itself and a little bit too little focus on like how you actually get a job
1: in yeah. this industry in these programs well most of the time the job that they got was being a college professor <laughs> Right. Or they retired and they were like,
2: I like, you
1: know, teaching.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I I definitely feel like in some ways a technically less uh, proficient director because I don't feel like I have that same sort of depth of knowledge or diversity of education that the typical film student has. All I have is sort of what I've been able to pick up through doing. And then, Also, like, the sort of industry savviness that comes with having been in this, like, industry as a whole, whether as an actor, a writer, a director, or a theater person, or what have you, for a while. Which is, I feel like, I don't know that I would have gotten that same sort of, like, industry proficiency if I had been in film school. And it's cool that certain programs are offering it. And I hear that about AFI. I hear that AFI does.
0: Yeah. I studied engineering in college, and when I came to L.A. is when I was like, I should probably watch the Citizen Kane movie and I should yeah. watch Casablanca and I should watch, you know, a few good men. Like all these movies yeah. that people are talking about. Heat. There's all these movies I'd never even seen yeah. that if I would have gone to film school, I would have seen yeah. all of them and I would have
2: figured out uh, why,
0: why they work. You know, I, I will be real, though. They don't
1: screen Citizen Kane in film school. They don't? They don't. Yeah. like mm. the, There's not enough classes in four years of college to cover a fraction of the movies that were quote unquote supposed to have seen Mm. you know so it really no matter what it ends up becoming about self-education and frankly like whenever i'm pitching and i'll like make a reference to a movie from like the 80s yeah like i'll make a like a cronenberg reference or something like that like the fly which was a huge hit yeah and like you know development executives are like some of them are like in their 20s. I just get blank stares. Yeah. I've never seen yeah. it either. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, yeah. Well, you <laughs>
0: know. I, I get, you know, uh. a guy in a fly to go and yeah, get the it. machines just, and get mixed up. I just I mean think, like cyberpunk body horror. And then they just I yeah. say that instead. But I,
2: I think that's like also because the medium is developing so rapidly now that the references are becoming more contemporary. Yeah. Because it's that thing where like the medium is, is, developing so exponentially fast that to reference citizen Kane is like well we can't pull anything from that. Yeah. That's that feels really relevant to this new thing we're making. On the other hand, we can say it's Jackie Chan meets neighbors too. Yeah. or whatever because right. like the, those references get are that. a little yeah. a little more contemporary. Yeah.
0: Well, so let's fast forward a little bit to before we fast forward, I do have one like fast
1: a tiny fast forward. <laughs> yeah, I, the, the the big important question of this this backstory, I was thinking about on the drive over. Uh, why comedy? Yeah, like, when we started doing comedy, it wasn't super cool. Like we're in yeah. the comedy boom now, where like you can say, "Oh, I work for College Humor," and that's very cool. But comedy was not trendy or or sexy in two thousand six. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's this sort of, there's kind of like like you were in a
0: ska band. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like all internet video companies that I can think of in the beginning start with comedy, because like what else is good in three minutes? I guess what I'm saying is, is that there's a difference between like 2006 and post split
1: cider. Sure. Like when I worked at Comedy Central, it was embarrassing to say that. And then it got cool.
2: Well, there's like an anecdotal answer to that question, which is I had an acting class uh, with uh, an acting instructor early on in my formative acting years who said you should sort of define your acting style based on the first impression that you give walking into a room. For instance, like Jason over there, he's clearly the bad guy Mm -hmm. and he should, you know, go in wearing a leather jacket and... Sure. having just smoked a cigarette. And Sam is short, so he should do comedy. And that did, that was a big moment for me, where I sort of said, I am getting cast in a lot of these sort of, like, funny roles. I mean, I, as a yeah. comedy, like, I was super into my Python growing up, and I was super into uh, Weird Al, Jim Carrey. Yeah. And I, like, I even did some Monty Python sketches. I love getting laughs from people. But at that point in my life, like, I had done some serious plays, and I was really into drama, really into it. I just didn't get anything back mm-hmm. from auditioning for dramas. What I got back was like, oh, this guy could be the Shakespearean fool. Mm-hmm. And so I just got more more response that way. And then I Josh and I kind of fell in love with each other when we were like nineteen and twenty. And he was he became my comedy role model. I just followed him around and did whatever he did because I was like, This guy really knows what he's doing. He's pretty um, funny. That is true. Yeah, I think he's one of the funniest people alive.
0: Yeah. I haven't um, always been into comedy. I don't know. I feel I don't remember it not being cool ever. <laughs> maybe wait I wait! Hold on. Out with the you employees. know what? I so think you were it, a kid and you were like, "I love Weird Al" or whatever. Yeah, I loved Weird Al. Like, I watched love, like Spaceballs sure. and Blazing Saddles and yep. Top, um, Tommy top Boy. Secret. You guys ever yeah. seen that movie with Val Kilmer? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like on, where there's like two guys and a cow and yeah. smoking on the cover. I
2: think that it was Naked that gun. it was popular, but it wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. now, comedy is cool.
0: Okay, I way. guess I wasn't cool. I think. Yeah, that, I just that's realized. what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you so, didn't go to college, yeah. and then you got to this uh, you fell company. in love with comedy. Now yeah. here you are at
1: IAC. Like billionaire Barry Diller has purchased college.com. Oh, right? No,
0: so I was going to just oh. ask. So they didn't care that you didn't go to college when you applied for the job. I don't know that they knew. Okay.
2: I mean, I, I also were I you, was because oh, uh, you were an actor. You're like oh, I
0: humorized and college all the time. There's
2: like this whole through line that I've neglected which is that I was like a habitual liar in order to put myself <laughs> in situations where I would get opportunities. Like I told some really really big lies. Can you give us a for instance? Well the first play I ever directed was when I was in England when I was 15 I told them that I was a 19 year old enrolled at Oxford University in order so that they would allow me to direct something at the student theater there. And then when I came home To Boston, I wanted to direct Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, and I held auditions and I convinced a producer and everybody that I was 26 when I was, in fact, 16. (laughs) And the cast found out about it and were furious with me because like, hardly anybody came to the show. I mean, I was (laughs) was miserable at it. You were a child. (laughs) (laughs) And they ran an article in the Improper Bostonian with with the headline, Busted, with my (laughs) picture. (laughs)
0: Uh, That's that's pretty awesome. That's so
1: excellent.
2: Uh, (laughs) But no, I think I had stopped lying by the time I applied to College Humor, so they knew I was 21. Mm. Oh, man,
1: 21.
0: 21 and starting your career. That's so awesome. So you've been there since you were 21. That's like your first big job.
2: I guess, you know what? I actually might have been 22 because I just, this uh, past, I think two weeks ago was my 10 year
1: anniversary. Wow. Incredible. So, so at this point, just in the the realm of the internet, right? Like people are just now kind of figuring out how to put videos online. Like New York in particular is really pretty bumping in terms of what companies are doing and trying out. It's the beginning yeah. of that first boom, you know. Super um, Deluxe. Super Deluxe. Mm-hmm. That's college how College Humor, heavy? Next New Network. Did you do that for dot com? Uh, I didn't. I was making a web series that I was going to pitch to them. And then they Mm. went under. Um, Anyway. But the big inspiration for
2: us, or for me, was Homestar Runner. Oh, Um, really? That's like where it all, Homestar Runner was the thing I watched. And I went like, this is amazing. It's so niche, but it appeals to like such a passionate fan base. What about this but live action? Yeah,
0: yeah. Right. Like there could be quality writing online. Yeah. TV level, like Simpsons level writing or whatever. Yeah. And people were building fan bases. Like there was a yeah, a, you were you could create a
1: career out of
0: yeah, you could merchandise yeah, Home Star Runner. Yeah. I, I went to a Home Star Runner themed party in college. <laughs> That's
2: <Yeah>. incredible. <laughs> okay, so
0: forty five minutes into our podcast, can we ask a question that all our listeners want to know? Yes. From Sam is like what? So we talked a little bit before about how it's very hard to impress you as a director that wants to direct for College Humor. But what is what do you look for in a director? That you give an opportunity to direct? It's a good question.
2: I want to say like the answer to that has become really specific. And I'm going to start talking and see if I can form good sentences as I go. (laughs) Uh, To make a short for the internet, you have to have a really complete technical understanding of what it means to be a director because it's got to really grab you. And by that, I mean, it has to be really quick and really aggressive without coming across as like totally inorganic or chaotic or rushed right or
0: rushed yeah yeah so which is the biggest problem with a lot of stuff i work on (laughs) i feel like it's like they're like needs to be 90 seconds i'm like the script was six pages needs to be 90 seconds sure sure (laughs) okay well doesn't here we go
2: (laughs) uh i guess we're all auctioneers now (laughs) yeah so uh, you know are is that like the rule for good directing in general probably not but it's certainly the rule if you come to us and want to direct something like i want to see something that's like really stylishly on point and you don't need to have a lot of money in order to prove that to me really you just need to have a really sophisticated camera work and editing if you're a editor who also edits i think you are three times as likely to be liked by me mm-hmm. Because it means that you're shooting f- with a very specific cut in mind.
0: Right. I don't and I also, in my opinion, is just like directors that are very, very, very involved in the edit, especially starting out in their career, yeah. tend to make better stuff. Because, you know, you if you're not editing, it's really hard to be a perfectionist, you know, especially yeah. with all this technical stuff you're sure. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. When you care about what frame the cut is on, it's hard to do it when you're not the editor, you know?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I don't think we live, like, I think we live in a late age where more and more so those sort of, uh, disciplines are one and the same, you know, do you really, do you know what it means to like direct and edit for comedy for comedy specifically? I am an, I have killed so many L cuts in the editing process. Like I can listen to a a sentence or I can read a sentence on the page and I can tell you what words the cut to the reaction is going to go over. If you don't have that instinct like that's a re- that's a really important instinct.
0: This is actually something that I learned from the Fine Brothers. I was uh, the post supervisor on this show yeah. that did my music for YouTube yeah. a few years ago. And we, we turned in our first edit. It was less than 3 minutes long. They gave us over 180 notes on it. <laughs> um, wow. In an Excel spreadsheet. They're very very fine-tuned perfectionists like by the Fine Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> but they said, "We just want it to be edited." They're like, "Our editing model or like role model is Mad Men. They say, like, watch an episode of Mad Men. Look at how they edit that show. That's how you should edit our show, even though it's not a comedy. But they're like, people come in on the wide shot. Then you go to a medium shot. You do not cut in the middle of a phrase. You know, like if a sentence is like, hey, what are you doing here? And who told you you can have some vodka? You can cut between like, what are you doing here? And who told you you can have some vodka? But don't cut in the middle of, like, a, a piece of dialogue. Don't cut on water. Yeah. yeah. And as a beginning editor, you kind of learn, like, L-cuts are the thing that makes helps you smooth cuts, right? Right. You learn that, like, oh, action across a cut really helps make smooth a, uh, makes a cut smooth. If you start dialogue in one shot and finish in another shot, it makes things smooth. But, like, the more and more I work, especially in, like, short form stuff, <laughs> the more I realize, like hitting beats and making moments land and getting jokes to work is mostly the job of the editor, much more so than the performer or the director, because they choose where we're looking and how much time is going to pass between all these things. And when you start L cutting, it might work for, you know, like a, like a real fast argument or something, or or when we're listing a lot of things, but when you're trying to get really sharp moments to land, it kind of gets in the way. Yeah.
2: Very well said. Yeah, I, I it's almost as if at a certain point you are I think in comedy I I try to encourage editors to to be very aggressive. I mean fundamentally I think it's it's uh, our job, especially I, I mean maybe half because we're doing comedy and also half because we're making videos for the internet to be very quick and very aggressive with our edits. Otherwise it, it's almo- it's a little bit of the job to be non-creative. It's like don't cut in the middle of that line. You know, don't cut to someone else's reaction for the latter thirty percent of that line, and then the first thirty percent of someone else's line. Like, make this very, very mm-hmm. uh, straightforward for me in order and so clear. that I can un- and clear in order so that I can understand the jokes. It's hard to tell people to be non-creative,
0: right? It, so you you
2: have to really.
0: I think it is creative. It. I think it's kind of lazy to just. I'll do an L-cut and it'll it, it'll feel like I'm editing right. something. You know, that's the
2: other thing in comedy. Like people don't care about continuity. Actually, people don't care about continuity for the most part at all. At all.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it it drives me insane because editors. You know who cares about continuity? Yeah. Editors, <laughs> yeah. For sure.
2: <laughs> editors also. Well, actually, uh, maybe more cinematographers care about the line.
1: Nobody yeah. else cares about the yeah, line. No, right. Yeah. Don't care about the line.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I kind of care about the line when I feel like. An edit is jarring, you know. Sure, but I don't mind flopping shots, cheating, like doing all sorts of things to make it. So, to me, it's like you know, you just don't want to notice the cut, but cutting in the middle, unless the cut is is the punchline, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I think it really comes down to cutting with intention, right? Yeah. Like oftentimes, you're using a reaction shot to maybe cover up some some sort of uh, continuity error or like you know um an edit that doesn't totally match, right? Yeah. But it's about having a, an understanding of the bigger picture of what is the real intent of this piece, right? Mm-hmm. Communicating, you know, these beats, these emotional beats, whether they're jokes or dramatic or whatever, sometimes that just means being as simple and as clear as possible. Yep. And when you get flowery with trying to like cover up something that ultimately doesn't matter, that's when you run into mucking things up. Yeah. I,
0: I do think the editors need to be creative when things aren't working, you know, when something on set wasn't that funny, you Mm -hmm. know, and sometimes cutting to reaction, back to reaction, back to reaction, even though it's not necessarily scripted, can add a little bit of like comedy to a moment or something.
2: Well, and actually, I mean, my favorite pieces have sophisticated editing in them insofar as the director has decided to do something stylistically ambitious, and that has to be represented in the edit.
0: Right. I rewatched Jeggings, the thing about (laughs) Jeggings last night, because... I don't know. I think that's like one of my favorite college humor videos. And, you know, we had Matt Pollock who directed it on here. And if you guys haven't seen the video, it's basically this teacher comes in and he's <coughs> telling people they're not allowed to wear jeggings. And we find out that everyone is wearing these insane clothing piece, articles of clothing, half of which are, they're pretty much naked. Like the girl that's wearing a yeah, yeah, yeah is like not Or they're shirt. just like made up. Right. Yeah. But rewatch, I was like, how, right when the teacher walks in, there's this wide shot of the entire class where you're seeing everyone. And I said to Matt, there's no way in that wide shot people were wearing these actual outfits and they were, you know, yeah. like when I rewatched it last night. Yeah. And so there's something about the editing and Matt is like such a good editor too. But yeah, I, I think there is an art to not seeming creative, mm-hmm. but still getting all the jokes to land and people to notice the exact right things. There's so many times I read a script where there's like a joke in the script That I know is going to be really, really hard to land in the edit, in the how you shoot it and how you you cut it. Even though it reads funny, I I think it's maybe the
1: biggest gift that the internet has for us, right? As filmmakers who were just cranking all the time and making things all the time, is you you learn how to keep things really trim and simple, and know exactly how to deliver the beats that you're trying to deliver. And know that you're probably going to do it again in a week or two, you know. Yeah. So like that, in terms of training ground, we were talking earlier about like how do you uh, develop directors into something like, you know, how do you shepherd them through their career? Basically, doing online video is it, right? Like that. There's not a better boot camp out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could spend one hundred twenty thousand dollars on film school, or you could, you know, right, start your own comedy group.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in the whole learn by doing thing and the 10,000 hour rule and all that, right? Like there's there's nothing but actually doing the thing. And then doing it over and over and over again and daring to be bad at it and analyzing your mistakes mm-hmm. and then looking at someone else who's much better than you and going, fuck, like, how do I be like that guy? Yeah. Failing um, your
1: way into the top. I think yeah. that's the other thing maybe I've talked about on the podcast, but I love about college humor is that uh, there's a handful of directors that are all doing stuff together, but we basically have the same script ish and the same cast and the same location and the same gear. Mm-hmm. And every single time, it's like, what can you do that's different? What can you do that's unique? How did the other guy do it? Yeah, you know. So it's. I think it's. You know, I've always loved the site, but like since I started directing for you guys, like paying attention to what other people are doing has been really fascinating. Really, yeah. really interesting.
2: Yeah, there is some. I mean, you know, like uh, there's this saying which I didn't come up with. But it's like writing poetry with rhyme is easier than writing poetry without rhyme Mm -hmm. because there are creative restrictions. Like it makes the writing actually click into place a little bit easier. And I think that's true of some of the creative limitations that we have in internet video. It's like, well, you know, I have this interview lighting kit. This is what I got. And I've got a black curtain. How can I make this look really
0: dramatic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I like when I'm like coming up with stuff to shoot. I like kind of just starting with like locations. Like here are the, the three coolest locations we have access to. Yeah. And let's yeah. like work backwards from that. So back to what you look at for in a reel to hire a director. So the first yep. thing you said was just being technically astute, right? Like knowing mm-hmm. what they're what they're doing knowing how to edit, knowing the rhythm, knowing how to get things to land. Do you care at all about a a unique voice or feeling original or feeling different than anything you've seen on College Humor before?
2: No, not as far as the College Humor videos are concerned. That's a little bit more, can you represent the work that we're doing already? Maybe at a time I would have said that when I felt like the College Humor voice was a little bit less defined. But honestly, since basically the era of Paul Briganti, like we now have a sort of a look and a feel that I feel like everybody has tried to emulate a little bit. So I think we're looking for that. I mean, I've gotten a lot more specific. Even the spiel that I was just giving is a lot more specific than I could have been with you a handful of years ago about what we look for in internet video. Uh, yeah, if we're, if we're doing a project, for instance, um, this thing we did for Go 90 called Fatal Decision, which was, uh, it was written by Dave Seeger along with Greg Sties and a group of talented writers, and then Greg directed it. It was very specifically going, oh, you know whose unique director,
1: or you know whose unique voice as a director would work for this is Greg. I always joke that like you can tell a Greg Sties video from all of the other ones because they are especially weird. <laughs> right. And I mean um, that with the <clears throat> respect. Like, I think that's yeah,
2: incredible. I have a very, it's like a, to me, directing is a casting exercise when, when you're, especially when you're putting together a project. You know, I'm as inarticulate about saying this person's the right lead on the, for this project. Like, why? I can't exactly tell you, but I know it's perfect as I am in the directing category. With Greg and Fatal Decision, it's his, like, playful kind of exuberance, and his, like, if the majority of our directors are aggressive, he is hyper-aggressive, mm-hmm. and, like, his ability to do, I <coughs> uh, bless you.
0: Thanks. What do you mean by aggressive?
2: Like, like I mean campy, in-your-face, uh, fast, fast, fast. It's, it's like, not Michelle.
0: his
1: personality, but
0: his no, work. No, no, I mean, no,
2: his no, like Yeah,
1: But it's it's sort of, like, he's, like, um, Michelle Gondry meets John Waters, Right. yeah yeah like it's a little like a tiny bit psychedelic and like weird it's a little timid tim and eric as well yeah.
2: honestly like meets uh robert rodriguez like yeah, there's yeah. Mm. there's something super highly stylized yeah. and flying around with a handheld camera
0: yeah um, he, he's the guy i would bet would work. just throw a camera does he operate <laughs> you know awesome does he operate on his own stuff
2: I think sometimes yes, and sometimes no.
0: <clears throat> so when you, so from the director, I mean, you've obviously worked with a million directors and been a director yourself. Like, what do you? What makes a good college humor director?
2: Well, I think the one thing that I've left out is like being a, a good person. And a, a, like a, we we use the term "good hang" for people who are just like generally decent people and like don't blow up when things don't go their way. Uh, that term was uh, trademarked by Eva Wong. <laughs>
1: um,
2: like, to, to work with us, you have to be a good collaborator. But versus, I think, the vast majority of television directing, and there's there's more and more uh, TV directing that's, like, very hands-on and very collaborative. So this this is a little bit of an unfair statement. Let's say, like, network TV drama directing which is like, you come in, what's the script? And two actors, this scene, maybe we block it this way. Everybody know their marks? Okay, good. I'm going to go back to my trailer. We require a high level of collaboration, but also a high level of input from our director. And that can be a tough balance, like knowing I can talk to the writer about cutting a line and I can add a joke here that wasn't in the script, but I need to talk about it and get approval for it. And, and, um, I, I would say that's a tricky balance. Wouldn't yeah. You
1: yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, anytime you're working with a new company, it's always about kind of testing the waters and figuring out what what's expected of you a little bit, right? Because what you were saying before, you know, if I'm doing an episode of NCIS, it is super straightforward. It's very, very simple, but not very, very simple. Sounds great. It's super hard. <laughs> Sign me up. Um, I'm going to have to sleep with a lot of the right people. <laughs> but, you know, when you're in the internet, the terms aren't quite so clear, right? Yeah. And so whenever I'm working with a new company, I'm always trying to figure out, like, why, well, you know, is it a, is it appropriate for me to pitch a joke? Who gets, who's noting things? All of that stuff is kind of up in the air. And so I think with college humor in particular, certainly there's kind of a a situation where you're building trust. And I think that's maybe the reason why most companies want to have just a handful of people that they can go to and count on. It's just because it takes so much time to figure out whose sensibilities match each different project. And like who can you trust with something that maybe needs to be rewritten a little bit or is extra long and so you know you're going to be cutting jokes. And can they shoot it in a way that makes sense to to be aggressive in that way.
0: yeah. And do you interview the directors personally? I do.
2: Um, Again, just because it's something that I care so much about. It it depends. I mean, we've certainly brought in directors for projects that I'm not as familiar with, but it's still, you know, you said earlier you've worked with a ton of directors. And the truth is I haven't because I'm so picky about the category and I think it's tough, especially because, you know, we're on the internet for a lot of these projects. We don't pay very much. We're non-union for me to find people who are, really work at the caliber I want for them to work means, you know, they're largely people at the beginning to middle of their careers. They're very hungry and uh, there just aren't a whole lot of those people out there. And I'm also a little lazy, like I said before.
0: Right. Like it's easier for you if they somehow show up in your, if they (laughs) they somehow appear. And what do you ask them in an interview? That's a good question. Why are manholes round?
2: (laughs) That's a good one. I think I asked them about their directing style and their voice and the, and the kind of thing that they like to direct and how they feel about comedy and if they're into comedy. It's a bunch of very average stuff. Lately, I've I've started to be very specific with them about what I want to see from them right off the bat. So there's no me sort of testing them and then watching
1: their cut and then being like, here's 150 notes. I'll be like, here's what I like and don't like. Right. Um, Do you have any the kind of things that you found coming up in, again and again? Like, are, are there any tips you could say, like, hey, I'm coming in as a young director, what do I want to show Sam in addition to, like, like what are the notes you find yourself saying in those meetings, I guess is what I'm
2: asking. I... Would say that the number one note I'm giving all the time on mostly everything, except not so much now because the directors are working with like really know what I'm looking for is faster, tighter, pick up the cues. You clearly don't know. I wouldn't, I'm not making this note, it's an asshole note, but this is what I'm thinking. You don't know what I mean by fast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And have you ever seen anything that's too fast that's not working because it's yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Because if anything, if there's any moment. That's supposed to be awkward or is supposed to be, like, mock drama. Mock drama can't be done fast. I did a sketch for College Schumer back in the day called uh, Grammar Nazis, which was an Inglorious Bastards parody, and that is slow.
0: Right, because it's Tarantino. It's Inglorious Bastards.
2: Yeah, it's a parody of a very specific scene.
0: Something I learned when I did a show for Super Deluxe back in the day, the girl I was doing it with, Kept telling me to cut things faster and faster and faster. And I was like, yeah, but we need this awkward moment. You know, it's supposed to be uncomfortable. And she's like, yeah, but if you cut everything super fast, then that one second pause will be like a five second pause. It's so true. It's all relative.
2: If you look at like, uh, this gets really nerdy, but that's why we're here. That's the point. That is the show. Um, If you look at like Samuel Beckett's uh, plays, which were like what got me really into theater back in the day. It's Mm -hmm. all this... What's called uh, stichomythiasm or wow. stichomythic dialogue, which is little line, 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 little line. Pause. He's very specific about where those pauses go, and he really meant for it to be performed rapid fire, so that those pauses really meant something.
0: Yeah, like you know? Aaron Sorkin, you know, like yeah, he does that stuff totally. Like if someone stops talking, you know, it's an important. It's for moment. real. But
2: yeah. like I watched, uh, I just watched *Neighbors 2* on a plane. Great movie. And listen to how fast that shit moves. Yeah. I mean, like, and it really works. I, by the way, I like drama slow. I love Mad Men, and uh, I'm watching the second season of Mr. Robot right now. And man, in a good heavy way, that show drags like a like an ugly limp. I think it's super cool. I better call Saul is a slow show.
0: Yeah, which yeah. I love. Well, so we should probably start ramping up. Pretty soon. Yeah. But before you go, Sam, Mm.
1: it's time for unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Maybe I'll I'll give two recommendations in case the first one is a little bit too easy.
2: But there is screenwriting software, which is easily downloadable. It was recommended to me by my head writer, Mike Trapp, called Highland, which I think is really, really cool. It's basically like a uh, screenwriting scratch pad that you can jot down a lot of like clumsily formatted dialogue into uh, and then formats it sort of automatically as if you've written in a coding language into proper screenwriting format. And What I love so much about it is being able to write sort of scrawl and then flip and watch it in proper looking PDF format and read it that way and go like, oh, that line could be a little bit better. Mm. And the sort of process of flipping back and forth is a way of stepping back and getting a perspective on my own work that I don't think you normally have in the screenwriting process. So
1: it's almost like you're, you know, doing the the pen and paper method, right? Yeah. Where you like scratch it out real quick and then you throw it into Final that's Draft, exactly, but you're doing it digitally.
2: That's in exactly history. the analogous. Wow. That's exactly the analogy.
0: I love that you dropped out at high school, Yeah. was a theater kid, went, was a vagabond in New York running yeah. around with actors, yet, Like, you approach things so technically, you know? Yeah. Potentially because your parents are professors. But, you know, I I don't know. I think that's really cool. And, like, I know another writer that loves Highland and kind of writes, prefers to write, like, you know, left justified. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then see what it looks like in the screenplay format. One of the writers from Miss 2059. And his dad is actually a writer writer. Simon Gantz, uh, his his dad Gantz and Mandel, they like wrote, created Parenthood, or wrote Parenthood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They created Laverne and Shirley and all sorts of stuff back in the day. But you just see that over and over. It's like super technical people with like a real dramatic kind of interest. Sure. Um, And I I think, I don't know, it always makes me happy when I meet successful people that have those two things. Because, you know, I studied engineering and people always thought it's such a departure to move into film. Where I feel like they're like I don't think it is at all right. I mean, it's
2: like uh, if engineering is carpentry, like you can make the connection from like screenwriting or from entertainment to programming through carpentry. I feel like or through architecture. (laughs) Jesus, (laughs) (laughs) which is like it's a crafts position, right? I don't, you know, I don't think we're. I forget who was talking to me about this recently, but like art is just a piece of it. Like the 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 sort of physical kind of craft piece of it. The I'm going to direct this the same as like I'm going to carve a right. spoon
1: out of this piece of wood. You have a, is you smart. have to have a method, right? Yeah. You have to have a plan of attack. It's not like we're just splatter painting. Well, yeah, do you right. think art, yeah.
0: do you think we call it art because it's emotion plus craft? Like is that sure. what makes it an art? Mm-hmm. Is that it's like sure anyone can put a camera somewhere and shoot a wide shot, a medium shot, and a dolly shot or whatever. I just but, think the
2: standard for technical proficiency is so much higher in this industry than it is in say like visual art. Mm -hmm. Not to say that the number of
1: disciplines you have to have uh, at least a working vocabulary in. Yeah. Even just
2: being like social.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, Well, cool. Cool. Well Sam, what's your second endorsement?
2: Mr. Q's cucumber soda. Mm. Oh. It's like the best soda in the world. The vast majority of people don't even know it's out there. It's a vintage soda that was popular in the '50s. If you just do like cucumber soda and a little bit of gin, yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, it's oh, like and this is like a cocktail.
2: Easily the easiest, best cocktail you can make for yourself at home. Yeah, that's great. Wait, but you're
0: you're endorsing the mixed drink or the actual soda? A very a specific brand. The, the of soda.
2: soda on its own is great, and it's Mr. Q's M R. Mr. Q. It's actually Mr. Q, as in Mr. Q, Cumber. Oh, C U. Uh, uh cumber? <laughs> mr period capital q space cumber okay <laughs> that's memorable though right cumber. yeah yeah
1: <clears throat> so is it was it actually like a vintage soda or is it just like a throwback style no i
2: think it is a vintage soda i don't know exactly when it was first invented but it's still available. And do you have to
1: go to a specialty shop or is it like? Or you can co- get it
2: online or you can get it at like a specialty vintage soda shop, which there is one in okay, well, uh, a,
1: not too far away from here. There's one in Pasadena. Galco's. Galco's. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the
0: soda heads mecca. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. I don't really drink soda, but I'll try Mr. Q's because I love cucumbers. Oh. Especially welcome when back they're to spelled the soda game. C. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Cool. well thanks Sam or you want one. To go? you got it it's a it's a very it's very similar to many endorsements I've made I, w- I in the really past.
1: want you to do an endorsement without a caveat
0: <laughs> <laughs> My endorsement is put a caveat in front of everything you say <laughs> no one will ever think you're, no one will ever say that that was dumb um, there's this website called moviesincolor.com. have you heard of it Mm-mm. So we talk a lot about making pitch documents hmm. like let's say you have an idea for a movie and you want to convince someone, that they should make it, but they don't have time to read your script. So just send them like five pages, with like some really cool visuals. So if you go to moviesincolor.com, they have still frames from movies, just much like film grab, the site that Matt Pollock actually told us about, but they also combine them with like the color palette from that is uh, so the, film, the cool. frame. I'm um, looking at it right now. And so like, if you put just this image, with the, these colors and a treatment, and be like, "Yeah, I kind of like these colors." And this. Mm-hmm. people and this will is the palette I'm working. It's off like of. instantly sexy. Like people and, will in, and like instantly think credibility. Yeah, yeah, they'll instantly think you know what you're talking about, and that they should hire you because, oh my goodness, no other director has showed us the color palette. That Drop in color theory, very impressive, and not to mention obviously, you, it's very inspirational. Color for me has always been really hard because I have ideas about it, and then when you're on set, it's like, well swall's green so <laughs> i don't know I'm <laughs> color. not stanley kubrick yeah. i can't like find a whole new <laughs> country to shoot this in right now yeah. we'll just go with it so but it's really cool to see kind of how color works in frames and it's something that we all know is important but we don't really think about that much so but besides that use one of these images in a treatment and uh send me 10 percent of whatever you get when you sell your project
1: <laughs>
2: that's very cool
1: Cool. my endorsement is a two-parter, but they're related. Have you guys seen the movie Don't Think Twice? Not yet. I should. Yeah, it's I might see it on great. Thursday. It's pretty great. So that's Mike Berbiglia's second feature. It takes place in the world of New York comedy, where he's kind of an aging improv comedian with his uh, group called The Commune. And I can't say for certain that it's a great film because... So much of it is so familiar and like oftentimes literally things that we do in our lives, you know, like I remember trying to get into the SNL after party and like things like that. Yeah. That are actual beats in the film that were so present and true for me that. Um, so in other words, the way that it relates to you might just not relate to anybody else, given how specific perhaps. that speaks to you. My, my hunch is that people will like it either way but yes absolutely it's it's so close to my literal life like if it had taken place in la i don't know if i'd be able to watch it
0: yeah but But ultimately it's like a movie about a group of friends where one becomes they all want to be successful in the same way one gets it and no one else does and it's like about exactly moving on past that right exactly yeah yeah so
1: so i think there are very very um relatable themes to the whole thing but i really loved it it was really wonderful and kind of like hit me at a great time you know what i mean like i I was just ready for that movie which is a wonderful you know experience to have but then in addition mike verbiglia wrote like his six points of advice basically Hmm. i think it's in the new york times we'll put a link in the show notes but it's basically he's the type of guy who gets a ton of uh, questions lobbied at him right like he's been touring with his film he does all these broadway shows And just like this show, it kind of boils down, you know, kind of the real specific points of what you need to do to be a creative professional. And his number one point basically is just shoot it.
2: Hmm.
1: So, Oh, so he's promoting our podcast. Yeah, he doesn't say just shoot it, but he says go do things, make things. right? Um, And, you know, the the ultimate theme for our show. So I thought it was great. Did you hear him?
0: He was just on script notes talking about his movie. And I forget what director. He spoke to some director that had read his screenplay, I forget who it was, but the director gave him one piece of advice. Is it Frank? It's Frank Oz. Oh yeah. Frank Oz Hmm. told him when your cast comes to town to shoot the movie, take them all bowling before Hmm. you shoot. And he was like, okay. And he did. And he said that that's kind of like, you know, everyone got to know each other, talk to each other, like play together. And that even though it was only one night, it helped really sell that these people were friends. Oh, interesting. Um,
2: it's a team building exercise. Yeah. But bowling.
0: But bowling. Huh. Yeah.
1: And for a movie about, you know, a group that's supposed to have been together for a long yeah, time. Yeah, you yeah. You kinda gotta get that stuff in there as yeah. soon as you can. Cool. Cool. Well, Sam, this was great. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is yeah, a thanks lot of so fun. Much.
0: Thanks for making it work.
1: Um, if people want to find out more about you, where should they look on the internet?
2: You can look up on the Twitter. I'm Sam Rice. You can look up on the Instagram. I'm Sam Rice. You can look up on the Snapchat where I have the most fun. And that's Sam Neverland.
0: Mm. Oh, nice. Wow. That's a
1: good one. Sam Rice was taken. <laughs> well cool. Well thanks Sam. Uh, you can learn more about the things that we talked about on the show at Just Shoot It Pod on Twitter and then just
0: dot com online. You can follow me at Mr. Mademo. And me at Smighty Pileg. Yeah, thanks for listening to the show. Send us some everyone. questions. Rate us on iTunes, and we'll catch you next week. This episode was edited by Eric Cropot. Thanks, Eric. Music was provided by Jazar
1: on the Free Music Archive. So check them out. We'll have a link in the description. Thanks, guys.
0: Bye. 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 Talk about a slow movie. Foxcatcher. <laughs> yeah. Sam, I don't know if you can make it through it. I, I recommend <laughs> if you ever have like, if you want to go see like a slow movie like
1: that, if you can find a way to go to like a SAG screening, yeah, um, that is the way to see those movies because it's filled with like old thespians uh-huh. who are just like down. Sure, like there's like like applause breaks all the time. You yeah. will hear the word bravo. Yeah, 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 like shouted, <laughs> shouted. Yeah, that's
2: that's
0: amazing. It's really wonderful.
2: Uh, that's like internet commenter yeah. level of <laughs> media feedback. <laughs> yeah. Turns out,
0: bravo I, has hired someone to yell that <laughs> because they're having trouble <laughs> casting people.